Good morning. Our scripture passage is going to be Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, starting verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Thanks, Colton, for reading our scripture this morning, and Volker for praying for us. Uh, It's a joy to be able to be here with you all this morning and to bring God's word. Happy Father's Day to you all who are fathers here this morning, or grandfathers. And as we seek the Lord in his scripture this morning, I pray that this morning we would learn, whether we've had a good father or not on this earth, we would learn more about our God who is a good father, who loves and cares for us deeply in Jesus Christ. So as Colton read, we're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 8 this morning. And as we look at this story, we are going to see God's big grand purposes for the world put on full display. And we all long for our lives to have purpose, to have deep meaning. We all want to have that feeling as we lay our head on our pillows at night that what we've done that day has mattered in the grand scheme of things. Now, for many people, I know that this season of coronavirus and job losses or furloughs has really taken a hit to our sense of purpose as individuals in society. I know many in our church have either been furloughed or lost jobs because of this, and it's been hard. Uh, One particular woman interviewed for a New York Times article on depression related to the coronavirus shutdown said this about her current life situation. This was about a month ago. She said, I lost that network of people and sense of job and purpose. The loneliness is unbearable. See, whether or not we have been affected greatly by the coronavirus and all that that means, we all long desperately for our lives to have meaning and to have purpose. 
And so as we turn to the scriptures this morning and we see this story of Philip and this Ethiopian man, I want us to see that our purpose, of, the purpose of our lives is to get caught up into God's grand purpose for all things. And God's purpose is that sinful, shipwrecked, helpless people like us would have joy in knowing him. And that then those who have joy in knowing him would turn around and share that good news that they have with other people. And that the gospel would spread to the ends of the earth. So as we turn to the scriptures in Acts chapter 8, I pray that our hearts would be stirred up to love Jesus and to join him in this mission. So let's turn to our text for this morning. So this text centers around Philip. And if you've been with us for the last three Sundays uh, in Acts chapter 8, you'll know that Acts chapter 8 is kind of Philip's time in the spotlight, this early church servant. And he's called away from preaching the gospel to the Samaritans, as he does at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, and he's called to go on a desert road south towards Africa. And along this road, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. Now notice, this man is not given a name in the text. Really, the only details we have about this man is that he is an Ethiopian and that he's a eunuch who serves in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. But these two facts, though they are sparse and don't give us a total detailed picture of who this man was, they are crucial for understanding what Luke is doing in this story, in this part of the book of Acts. So we are going to look at each of those two descriptors in turn, that this man is an Ethiopian and that he is a eunuch. So first, the man is Ethiopian. Now, Ethiopia in that time was considered by many to be at the southern end of the earth. Uh, It was at the southern outskirts of the Roman Empire. So this was very literally to those in the Roman era and in the Roman Empire, the edge of the earth. Now, here's a question, though. Why does Philip find this Gentile man returning home from worshiping at Jerusalem. Why is this man from the ends of the earth coming to Jerusalem to worship? And this isn't like he's just walking down the street to the synagogue. This journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have taken five months to complete. This man was seeking out the worship of God. Well, likely, uh, this man was what was known as a God-fearer in the Old Testament. He was a Gentile who worshipped and served the God of Israel. And this is why, likely, we find him reading Isaiah 53 whenever Philip meets him along the road. He's seeking the God of Israel in the Old Testament scriptures. And so this Gentile from the ends of the earth, is tracked down by God's love and believes the gospel in Acts chapter 8. Now, this sounds familiar to something that we heard, read, and talked about at the very beginning of the book of Acts. This purpose statement for the book of Acts we find in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It'll be on the screen for you. I'm going to read it for us. And this is Jesus speaking before he ascends up into heaven. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you see this? 
The Ethiopian eunuch is a microcosm of what's going to happen on a massive scale by the end of the book of Acts. Whenever in Acts chapter 28, Paul is imprisoned in Rome and he says to the Jewish leader there, the gospel is going forth to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So you see the message of Jesus now in Acts chapter 8 is beginning to go forth to people from different cultures, ethnicities, and religious backgrounds, even to the farthest corners of the earth. So it's important that this man is Ethiopian. This man is also a eunuch. Now, there's no delicate way to say this, uh, as was commonly done at the time. This man was castrated in order to serve in a position close to the queen. That was customary in that time if you were going to serve close to royalty. And in the the Old Testament law, eunuchs were actually barred from entering into the temple courts to worship because they could not properly receive the covenant sign of circumcision. We read of that in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 1, if you're interested. But although they could not enter into the temple in the Old Testament law, there's a promise in Isaiah chapter 56, which, in which the prophet looks forward to a day when all types of people, including eunuchs who were previously excluded from full participation in the people of God, are brought in because the Messiah is here and his age is dawning, this promised Savior. And so now that Christ has come and that he has ascended to the throne of the universe and sends out his messengers with the gospel, this eunuch is being drawn into the people of God. This man who was previously barred from full participation in God's people is being brought close. So you see what all this is designed to teach us, that this man who is both an Ethiopian and a eunuch who is being brought to Christ through the gospel, what this is teaching us is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a barrier-breaking gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all kinds of people. All people, regardless of the color of their skin, the class into which they fall in society, or the sins that they have committed in their past, are invited into the kingdom of God to partake in the grace of knowing Jesus. Barriers are broken down in the gospel. And so a question we need to ask ourselves this morning is do we, as the church, reestablish barriers which Jesus himself has torn down? Do we hold people at arm's length whom the gospel calls us to welcome in as full members of God's family? Philip doesn't hold this new convert at arm's length. He jumps in the water and baptizes him, signifying that he's a full-fledged member of God's family. Well, maybe we hold people at arm's length because of a certain political persuasion, because God possibly couldn't really work in the heart of a Democrat and have them sitting next to you in church, right? That's a joke. That's sarcastic. Just know know that with me. That's a joke. I don't mean that. Uh, Maybe you have chosen to keep those in our church with cultural differences who come from a different country at arm's length because it's just too hard or too awkward to engage in forming a deep relationship with them. Maybe it's different parenting styles or particular Christian school affiliations or because we know that people have struggled with a particular sin in their past and he couldn't possibly bring them into his kingdom, right? 
All of these things threaten to keep us apart, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is a barrier-breaking gospel, one which brings in Ethiopians and eunuchs, black and white people, Republicans and Democrats together in one family. Anyone who is poor in spirit, who recognizes their need for Jesus, he welcomes in to be a part of this family. And I think at this point, just, just as, a, as an aside, I think this right here, a church that embodies this barrier-breaking characteristic of the gospel will be the most compelling witness for the gospel in an age like ours and in a culture like ours. I don't know about you guys, but living in our culture today, it feels like I am constantly being pulled to one side or another and then said, hey, if you're on our team, you have to shout louder than the other side. Our culture is one that divides us, that pushes us apart. And what would it look like in a culture like ours for the things that divide us outside the church to to not divide us inside the church? That though we might disagree strongly, we unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church together. You see, what the culture does is it draws lines for us and then says, you fit either over here or over here, and those are always moving farther apart. What the gospel of Jesus compels you and I to do with one another is even with those whom we most vehemently disagree We draw together in love. The gospel draws us toward one another in our differences. I pray that we would be a church like that. I remember in in, uh, late college and uh, right as Whitley and I were engaged before we moved up here, we were involved in a small group in our local church. And this was one of the most beautiful displays of the gospel I had ever seen because those people had no business being together. Absolutely none. Uh, There were people from all different political persuasions, different parenting styles, different life philosophies. I mean, I I kid you not, in this small group, there was one couple who who the the father has children that were raised and grown and did not allow the son and daughter, uh, the son-in-law and daughter to actually date. They had to court and he went on every single date with them until they got married. And then there was another couple who there was a dad who was going to be a stay-at-home dad and saw his dad do that and he was really excited about that. Just to give you a little bit of that persuasion. And yet the gospel drew that group together. There were so many awkward moments, but the gospel was beautiful as it was lived out in unity, as we moved together in our differences, in love. That is what Christ calls us to. That will be a compelling witness in our culture today. And it is precisely this kind of barrier-breaking gospel message that motivates our Christian witness, just like it does for Philip in this passage. Would you look with me at verses 32 and 35? We're going to see this in these verses. It says, now the passage of scripture that he was reading, the, the eunuch was reading, was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
So do you see that connection? Jesus suffered and died on behalf of us. Jesus was silent before his accusers. Jesus did not open his mouth, but instead took upon himself the punishment for sin that we all deserved. And it is for that very reason, and because Philip believes that, that it says in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. See, because Jesus was led to the slaughter and was silent before his accusers, we can open our mouths freely to declare his love for any who would come to him. It's the gospel of our suffered and died Savior that motivates our witness. The the Welsh poet uh, George Herbert captures this reality beautifully in his poem, The Agony. Don't worry, it's only six lines. I'm going to read it for us, though, the whole thing in its entirety. He says, Who knows not love, let him assay, and taste that juice which on the cross a pike did set abroad. Then let him say, if ever he did taste the like. Love is that liquor, sweet and most divine, which my God feels as blood, but I as wine. What Jesus felt as blood, we feel as wine. The horrible death which Jesus endured without opening his mouth is the very same gospel, the very same death we open our mouths in joy to proclaim. And some of you may be here this morning and you may be somebody that's been coming to church a long time and you may be worn out about sermons that talk about preaching the gospel. You may be tired of hearing this or you may feel daunted at the task of telling others about Jesus. Or you may feel like this call is just one more option among many in a social media feed that you've been scrolling through, promising to give you purpose in a time when you don't feel like you have any. It's just another option you can swipe through. But this isn't the sermon to go into all the details about how we share the gospel with others. But I'll tell you this one thing, is that you have to experience the good news of Jesus at a heart level before you will proclaim that good news from the heart to others. You see, you have to receive the gospel like the Ethiopian man before you can proclaim the gospel like Philip. You don't get up to run and obey the command of God to preach the gospel like Philip unless the gospel grasps you at a heart level and makes you leap and shout and run for joy like the Ethiopian man. You see, Christian witness at a heart level is not about guilting ourselves into inviting our neighbors who don't know Jesus over for dinner and then feeling better about it. It's about receiving the beautiful news of grace and letting that overflow out of you like a fire hydrant that has top loft off. You have to receive the gospel as wine, as that sweet liquor which inflames your heart with love for Jesus and your life with purpose before you will share it freely with others. It has to be good news for you before it's good news for anyone else. So I pray this morning that it would be. But as we talk about our Christian witness in this passage and the purpose of God in bringing people to himself, we have to notice the way in which God himself intentionally acts and orchestrates this missionary encounter in his sovereign power. 
Uh, I remember in high school, we used to play this game uh, called What Are the Odds? And it was usually whenever we were sitting around bored, uh, really up to no good, and a few of us were just sitting around, and one guy would challenge another guy, like, hey, you won't do X or Y stupid thing. Uh, and, the guy, and the guy says, who's challenged, says, okay, what are the odds? And then the other guy says, you know, one in ten. And then both guys, you count to three, both guys say a number, and then if they have the same number, the guy who was challenged has to go and do said stupid thing. And uh, as you can imagine, um, silliness ensued from that point on uh, because it was a game of chance with um, risky and dumb consequences. But if we were to play the game, what are the odds with this passage that all of these events would happen back to back so that this Ethiopian man would know of Jesus and the gospel, the odds would be astronomically high that this would be chance. Think about this. What are the odds that Philip would be pulled from a successful missionary campaign in an urban area where people are flocking to hear the gospel, think Philly, and called to journey to a remote country road in Perry County to meet one guy? What are the odds that on this journey, Philip would meet an Ethiopian man who happened to be a God-fearer? And what are the odds that that God-fearer just would happen to have his Bible open to Isaiah 53, the very passage where we read of a, of a, of a man who would suffer and die on behalf of the sins of his people? And what are the odds that in this desert, there would be water for him to jump in and get baptized and receive the covenant sign that he was unable to receive in the old covenant? Make no mistake, God orchestrated this encounter intentionally so that this man would meet Jesus. And make no mistake about it, God can and will do the same thing in our lives so that people hear the good news of the gospel. He is at work. He loves to work in the events of our lives to bring people into the joy of knowing him. That's what he's all about. And if you're here in church this morning... This passage says something to us. Why in the world do we live our lives as if God doesn't have this plan in place and doesn't call us to be a part of it? We know this is what he's about, right? Why do we act like this is the last thing that God would want us to do? Church, we ought to expect God to work providentially in our lives so that other people meet Jesus, That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what he's all about. So I pray, let's start praying and planning and living like God is actually on a mission to bring people into his kingdom from every tribe and tongue and nation and that we are actually a part of that. Because that's what's true. This is the purpose of your life. And it might not be as drastic and exciting as it, as it looks in Acts chapter 8. God might be working in the most boring and mundane providences in your life. But make no mistake, he is at work. And if you will join him, we will reap a harvest of people to share in the joy of knowing Jesus forever. That is what God is about. So will we join with him in this as a church? But we join in God's plan to see people come to know Jesus. Well, one more detail before we close. Notice how purposeful God is in bringing just one man into his family. Let that detail of this text sink in. Like we said before, God takes Philip 
from a successful missionary endeavor where people are coming to know Jesus left and right. And the gospel is breaking barriers, right? The Samaritans were the people that Jews considered as dogs. And here's a Jewish man preaching the gospel and Samaritans are getting saved. And yet God pulls Philip out of that flings him into the desert and says, go preach the gospel to this one guy who we will never hear from again in the Bible. We never hear from again in church history. It seems like God just wants to lavish this Gentile with his love and grace. This is a picture of what Jesus says in the parable, that he is the type of God that leaves the 99 to go after the one. This is the heart of our God. And our lives ought to reflect this same heart as well. We ought to love those who have not tasted the joy of the gospel and use and spend our lives so that they might partake in that. Just as Jesus goes after the one and leaves the 99, I pray that we would do the same thing. This is the character and heart of our God. May we spend our lives pursuing those who are far from Jesus. And so my my question for us this morning as we close is this. Is God's purpose your purpose? Is God's mission your life mission? If we have seen the love of Jesus displayed for us in dying sacrificially so that we and all different types of nobodies and misfits can come into his kingdom, if we've seen how the Father plans the events of our lives so that even one man may come to know the love of Jesus, how can we not Join him in this mission with our lives. So will we continue to pursue our purposes and our goals on our own? For our own outcomes and our own ends and our own achievements and our own glory? Or will we see the ways in which God has orchestrated our life and uses the purposes of our life for his ultimate purpose of seeing people come to know him and know the joy of knowing Jesus? Church, it is only in the story of Jesus Christ, the one who was silent so that we could speak out, the one who was cast out so that we could be brought in. It's only in his story that our lives find ultimate meaning and purpose. So let's join him in this mission. And may we be deeply satisfied and fulfilled as we know him more and join him in seeing others do the same. Would you pray with me? And I'll invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in some songs. Father, we thank you for your purposes for this world. Your purpose is to see people come to know you. Lord, we who have tasted the gospel know the joy that it is to be known and loved by Jesus Christ. We pray that others would know the same. We pray for revival in our city and in our nation, Lord, and we pray that you would make us here in our spheres of influence a part of it. Lord, we trust that you're working and we want to join you in that. Work in us by your spirit. Change us. And we pray that you would use us to see many more come to know the love that you have given us on the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray these things. Amen.